This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So, the eight keys. Do you know all of the self-care behaviors? These were identified by the American Association of Diabetes Educators. There are actually seven, and you're going to get one extra free from me tonight, so I'll talk about that in a second. Um, so I'm not going to get into the Krebs cycle or deep molecular level with tonight's lecture. We're going to talk about those everyday activities that you do that can make an impact for how well you stay safe with your diabetes or prediabetes. So what are the self-care behaviors? I've drawn some symbols here because diabetes gets to be black and white and kind of boring visually after a while. Um, what do you think the apple represents? Food, yes, nutrition, healthy eating. How about the tennis shoe? <laughs> Exercise, that's a giveaway, right? This one is to represent taking medications. All the numbers, right? So monitoring. Monitoring is your feedback loop to understand what's going on with your glucose, with your blood pressure, with your weight, with your cholesterol, and on and on. So that's another self-care behavior. The peace sign. This has to do with healthy coping. What are the things that you do to reduce your stress? So we'll talk about some of the opportunities, and you'll have a little self-check up here as we go through these slides to see what you're doing and what are some areas that you might want to focus on. Another self-care behavior is reducing risks. The seventh one is what do you do when those numbers go high and low? And this has to do with problem solving. And so I'll give you some tips there. And the last one is adding humor, and that's, that's the giveaway for you tonight. I'm going to talk a little bit about therapeutic humor and especially how it impacts diabetes care and health in general. There are a lot of benefits with the emerging science that's happening in this domain, but really this is about you and your support. So who is in your corner? Who's helping you with this? Who is facilitating this? Who's getting in the way? Hopefully you have some healthcare professionals that are also in your corner helping you na navigate these self-care symbols or these self-care behaviors that are represented here with the symbols. And it can be overwhelming. I mean, which one do you focus on? Where do you start? It can all be a little bit much. Sometimes it's just easier to look the other way and, and not think about this, right? Because, you know, you've got that the undercurrent of all those things you should be, the voice going off in your head of all the things you need to be doing, and, and sometimes that can be really burdensome. So the answer to that, it depends where you are on, that there are four stages with diabetes in particular, and if you're just diagnosed, of course you're going to get the onslaught of all the things that need to happen in all of these domains to stay safe. If it's your annual checkup, it might be that your provider says you need to focus on one area or another area. If it's a change in health status, like if you have a new diagnosis or a related diagnosis, there may be another area that you focus on because of that. Or maybe you're needing to solve low and high blood sugars, and that's where you need to spend your energy. And then there's, lastly, what's called a transition phase, and that's when things change, right? If you have your insurance coverage change, and now you are not going to be able to take that medicine you've been taking a long time, that can really derail your train. Or maybe you're going in for surgery, whether it's planned surgery or unplanned, that's another transition. Or if you have uh, an injury, a little bum, a bum foot because you, you hurt yourself, and that can 
also impact how well you're able to be active. Those are just to give you an idea. So how you focus kind of depends where you're at and who can help you navigate this. The best person is a certified diabetes educator. Show of hands, those of you who have diabetes or, you know, maybe you don't want to say, but um, who has seen a diabetes educator here in the audience? Okay, so we see, you know, because nationally, only about 7%, 5 to 7% of people with diabetes ever see a certified diabetes educator. I drew this cartoon. The punchline is it's our lucky day because here's the whole pandemic lining up to see, see the, di- the diabetes educator, and sadly, very few people do. The national standards, it's the gold standard of care, is to see one, and it takes about 10 hours to cover all of the topics that are related to the self-care behaviors that we just reviewed. But sadly, very few people do. And it would be like giving your car keys over to your teenager and saying, hey, have fun, go, go figure it out. No, you have to have the education. Yeah, you could get some stuff off the, off the Internet. You could hear some things from your neighbor or a, a loved one. But is it valid? Is it science-based? And that's where a diabetes educator comes in. And it's, in doing so really helps many things. And I also just want to pause here a minute and talk about the huge issue we're having with prediabetes. There are 84 million people in the United States. That's one out of three people in the United States with prediabetes. Guess how many people actually get to a program? Two and a half percent. 84 million people. We're down to about 200,000 people ever get the education on how to, how to make those, uh, how to mitigate those blood sugars so that you don't continue and go on to developing type 2. And getting that help really helps. So I'm going to compare here, since we were talking a little bit about medication in one of those self-care behaviors, how a diabetes educator helps to lower A1C. When we benchmark it against metformin, metformin being the common medication that's used for type 2 diabetes, and it's also used off-label for prediabetes, especially if you've had gestational diabetes when you're pregnant, you have diabetes, or you have hypertension or high cholesterol, or, you know, there are some profiles that fit in order for a provider to prescribe metformin in the case of prediabetes, but not when you're over the age of 60 because it's not efficacious. It's not very advantageous to do that. As you can see in the first line here, under the diabetes self-management education column, A1C lowering benefits is equal and even greater than metformin by lowering about 1.1 to 1.3% by seeing a diabetes educator. So there's, there's benefit in that. And then if you look at the other items here, you're not going to have side effects, <laughs> whereas with metformin, you have the gastrointestinal side effects that are common, and then the psychosocial benefits are high. So there are more reason to see a diabetes educator. I feel like I'm I'm chirping here talking about diabetes education, but it really is very helpful if you haven't done that yet. All right, so this next cartoon that I drew is to paint a picture. This is based on the great work of Dr. DeFranzo, who talked about the ominous octet, the eight deficiencies that are known with type 2 diabetes. And as you can see here, there are organ issues and there are also hormonal issues that are specifically related to type 2 diabetes. And as you heard from Drs. Kroon and Dr. Doctors Kroon and Kim, that there are medications that address each of these deficiencies. Okay. It is not your fault if you get type 2 diabetes. You know, how many of us... You know, I never hear anybody say, it's all my fault I got menopause. <laughs> 
No, we're just we're so judgmental about getting type 2 in particular and prediabetes. I know I can speak for myself when I got diagnosed with it. I just blame myself for letting my weight go run away and that kind of thing. But I, I just wanted to paint a bigger picture about how the medications address deficiencies that can lead to hyperglycemia or high blood sugar. Certainly with type 1, it's a lack of insulin and another hormone called amylin, but people with type 1 can have insulin resistance. And with prediabetes, some of these things are already setting up. So um, with that, I'm going to start getting into a little bit more detail. Let's take a look at some of these areas within each of the seven self-care behaviors to see what opportunities do you have? And when we look at taking medication, what are, I just read an article today about how people really struggle with taking medications, and why is that? What are some good reasons we don't take our medications on time? Or we don't take our medicines? Yes? Somewhere we're somewhere where the medication is not. What about it's too expensive, or you don't like the side effects, or you're not really sure that this is working or doing the trick? So what I've done in these next several slides is I've identified areas that I think are the most important, um, how to be consistent with these, carrying medications so that if, if you've got a little stash with you, if you're at work or you're about you know, town and you realize, ooh, I forgot to take my medicine, you've got some extra on hand with you, and if you're taking insulin, taking that, the mealtime insulin within 10 minutes of eating, I mean, I, I did hear someone say the best medicine is the medicine that you actually take. But there are reasons why we don't take it. And there are, val- there are very good reasons. But if you remember the deficits that are there, um, I, you know, people will say, well, what's the best thing I can do? Should I drink more water to lower my blood sugar? If you look at all the things that can be done, it's like, well, taking your medicines and, of course, eating like we should and exercising right, t- drinking water is down here. So you want to be sure that the effort that you're making is going to have a big payoff, and certainly your medicines will do that. So communication with your provider that things aren't working out or maybe they're too expensive, maybe there can be some other plan. And then lastly, your pharmacist is your friend. I just learned this the other day, and I've been in this for over 30 years, that you can synchronize your medication refills. Who knew this? So that you don't have to keep running back to the pharmacy. They can get them all aligned so your refills are happening. I didn't know. Who knew? Maybe you all knew. But this was news to me, and I want to share it to you, with you. And getting your co-pays. Sorry? Which pharmacy? Any pharmacy. You ask your pharmacist, you know what, I want all my refills to happen at the same time. And what they'll do is they'll parcel it out so that your new refills should line up. Yeah, I, I was surprised to learn that. And also the copay, if, you're, if you could get a three-month supply, you can often get a three-month supply for the same copay if you do the mail order. So talk with your pharmacist. They know all the ins and outs, and that's why I say the pharmacist is your friend, okay? could save you a lot of money. All right, so... I want to talk about what I think is the most important of the seven self-care behaviors, and that's healthy coping. How do you deal with this? How your mind is set for this and planning for slip-ups? And I think it's, you know, because if you're not ready mentally to deal with this, you know, you can know what to do, but executing it and actually following through is another thing. And if, if your mind is... Um, it's just, it's tough. That, that nagging voice is there. It can really get in the way. If we look at the bigger picture, striving for perfection is a setup. So you want to be able to 
strive for progress. Diabetes control is an oxymoron. There is, it's so, it's so difficult, and it, you know, it's a setup because then, you know, the fingers pointing back. Oh, you didn't do this, and you didn't do that, and you want to <laughs> try not to let that run away and you know take over the efforts that you're that you're making. So learning meditation can also help calm the mind and deal with the anxiety of all this, and it actually helps with diabetes and lowering glucose levels as well. So when you have diabetes and maybe your blood sugar is too low, and what does your partner say? Or maybe it's not low. Maybe you're just a little cranky. And your partner says, oh, are you low? (laughs) No. Or your partner's trying to help you, and, oh, you really shouldn't be eating that. Oh, yeah, thanks. I I know I shouldn't be eating that. So having that conversation ahead of time when you're in a good space and you can say, you know, I want to have a conversation about my diabetes or my prediabetes, and I want you to know what's really going to help me. So this is what I need you to do. This is where you're going to help me so that you don't feel like you're, you're having to, you know, you're, you're not being antagonized. All right, learning how to say no to things that you don't really want or need. And then seeing a mental health specialist. We have such stigma around this, right? If, you know, if you're one of the lucky ones who can actually see an endocrinologist, only about 5% do, and there aren't enough endocrinologists to go around, or if you had heart issues, you go and see the cardiologist, right? Or you have a bone problem, you see an orthopedist. But if you're really struggling with the issues of the mind, how many of us put off seeing somebody who can help us the most? So, um, and it's actually a standard of care from the American, the American Diabetes Association to see a mental health professional. And it's something that needs to be considered even annually to make sure that you're addressing healthy coping. All right, healthy eating. Um, this is the easiest behavior. <laughs> Thank you for the nice little polite laugh. <laughs> this is a complex subject, and no one size fits all. Um, seeing a registered dietitian is really going to help you. You can get an A1C lowering effect of 1% by seeing a dietitian. Because, for example, I'm a vegetarian. I'm not going to eat the same way somebody else who is not a vegetarian. And there are many nuances here. Um, So having that expert in your back pocket will help. Being consistent with your carbohydrate consumption is going to help. Uh, Planning ahead for the week. They say have a date with yourself on Sunday and plan for the whole week. And you could even um, cook ahead of time so that you're not reacting, but you're being proactive to what your meal choices are going to be. And then I wanted to share a story with you about the focusing on being satisfied, not stuffed. Okay, there's a lot of detail that goes into nutrition planning. And this one gentleman I worked with, he, was, he needed to lose a good 50 pounds. And, but he was not going to carb count. He was not going to track his food. He wasn't going to do any of that stuff, no calories, anything. But what he did was a mindfulness exercise. And he asked himself, as he was about halfway finished with whatever he was eating, he asked himself over and over, am I satisfied or am I stuffed? Am I satisfied? I think I'm satisfied now. I think I'm satisfied. I'm going to stop eating. He was so successful in doing this, so I wanted to pass on that tip. It's, it's, a, it's an easy way to kind of get in touch where, where you're at. And then um, I'm sure you saw the news recently about how sugar, sugar-sweetened beverages are an increase to mortality rate, increasing, yeah, and so hydrating yourself with water and making it fun, whether you spice it up with a little lemon or lime or mint or a slice of watermelon or whatever, instead of having regular soda or juice. Okay. 
Let's talk about being active. Being active certainly is going to help burn your glucose. It's going to help you feel better. It's going to help you sleep better, lower your blood pressure, and all those good things. So I think in terms of one of the things that the American Diabetes Association says is to stand for every 30 minutes that you sit, you should be standing for two minutes. So I think while I finish this slide, why don't we all try that? Why don't we just stand up here for a minute? You can join me if you don't want to. Don't feel pressured. But, you know, your body will... Thank you. Wow, a standing ovation in the middle of my lecture. You guys are awesome. (laughs) All right, yeah, and stretch and stuff, right? Because you want to be active as you can, move around when you can, talk on the phone when you're at home, moving around, making sure that before you exercise, you hydrate and you wear shoes that are appropriate so that you don't get injured. And if you're not feeling well, you do need to slow down mixing up your routine, trying something new. The best thing, the biggest take-home message here is strength training. And that's why we're seeing such huge rates of prediabetes is because as we age, we lose muscle mass. So how are you doing strength training? Are you doing little weights at home? Are you, could you do, thank you, you can sit down. I don't expect you to stand the whole, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, could you do little leg squats while you're brushing your teeth or, you know, during commercials, do some arm weights? Ways to strengthen your muscles really help. There was a recent research report that came out that looked about at about 5,000 individuals with type 2 that did not have type 2 at baseline. They were 20 years and older, and they found those who had a muscle strength that was in the medium range, which they measured, I don't need to get into that detail, had a much lower rate of of getting type 2, but when you do have type 1 or type 2 diabetes, the muscle strength will burn sugar for up to 24 hours later. That's why they say every other day do some kind of muscle training in addition to striving for 150 minutes of moderately paced activity per week. But, you know, there's, there's like research reports coming out. Just today something came across my email that said, okay, just do 10 minutes. 10 minutes a week is a starting place, and it will help to prolong your life. 10 to 49 minutes is is an initial goal, and then you build on that, building up to the 150 minutes as a goal. All right, let's talk about monitoring. Now, after hearing Dr. Neinstein last week about all the technology you can use to make this easier, it's really helpful because otherwise it can add to the burden. So this is your feedback loop. If you've got diabetes, having that three-month A1C is really significant to kind of give you an idea, does something need to change or not? And I know a lot of people who, who won't do it because it's like, your A1C, your A1C, it's not any good, you failed, you know, so don't get it tested. No, that's not the point. For people with prediabetes, getting it checked every year is the standard. Same with weight. Right? Weighing yourself, if you need to lose weight or you want to lose weight, and the studies suggest that 80% of us in the U.S. want to lose weight, getting that feedback by weighing either daily, that's the best case, or once a week. But what do we do? We don't. It's like, oh, the scale, you get on it, and it goes, ow! <laughs> you know? Why is it that our scale is talking back to us in a bad way? Why can't our scale, instead of doing this, say, you know what? Hey, you had a tough day today. Tomorrow will be better. Just keep going, keep going. You know, we need those nurturing messages for ourselves. Using a fitness or a nutrition tracker. And if you actually track your, what you're going to do tomorrow, 
Today, you'll even lose 10% more than if you didn't track. So that's a recent research report that came out. And ask for copies of your lab work because, you know, keep them organized so that if somebody says, oh, well, what was your whatever, your B12 level, if you're on metformin because you can have a deficiency in B12, um, gee, I don't know. So get your copies so that you can be an, an informed health consumer. And then for those of you with type 1, I do want to mention blood ketone testing. So your provider will tell you at which level you need to check your ketones. Typically, it's above 250 if it's not related to food. But um, a lot of people do urine ketone testing, and that's a late indication. And what happens is when there's no glucose, you break down fat for energy, and the fat cell splits and puts ketones in the bloodstream, and that's, that's deadly. I've, yeah, I don't need to paint horror stories here. But if, if, you're, if you have type 1 and your sugars are going high, that's when you would check for ketones. So I wanted to put in a plug for blood ketone testing. A lot of people have had type 1 for decades and don't realize that this is the latest and greatest. Problem solving is our next key to managing this. And it takes about 15 years to run into all the situations that can impact your diabetes management and uh, number one is having a plan B, you know, for when you're traveling or there's something coming, you know, holidays or if you're sick or you've injured, that kind of thing. Making sure your medications and your supplies don't run out so that you're not caught on a weekend and your provider's not there to renew your medicine. Um, what, about, what about having... Um, your disaster kit prepared, and if you're having pain. So there are a lot of reasons for glucose levels to do some strange things, one of which can be stress, illness, or you're about to get sick. You know, you're about to get the flu. You can see glucose levels on the rise. Um, alcohol, marijuana, they can make your, I'm not saying go, go use them, but they can make your glucose levels, like typically alcohol can make you low the next day, Marijuana can be an insulin sensitizer, so it can make you go low, but then the munchies can make you go high, these things. So you want to look at the big picture. Instead of my number is low or my number is high, what did I eat? There are many other variables. Um, and then if your insulin is starting to lose its potency because, you know, that insulin is so expensive, what are you going to do? You're going to squeeze every last drop out of that bottle. But if it's been out of the fridge for more than a month typically, then uh, depending upon what kind of insulin you're, you're taking, then the potency won't be as strong, and that can be a reason. Or your, your test strips, if you're using the meters, can actually expire or be exposed, and that could also be a reason. If you are taking injections, whether it's the GLP-1s for type 2 or insulin for people with type 1 and type 2, you want to rotate where you go, because if you're right-handed, what are you going to do? nail the same spot over and over because it's anatomically easy to go there, and then you could have a little fat pad accumulate where you're not absorbing the insulin. So you want to rotate your injection sites. Those are some of the highlights, I think, of problem solving that I've seen. And, you know, and like, say you're, you're going to go to Europe or you're going to go cross time zones. How do you adjust your medicines? Having those plans ahead in place. Reducing risk, there's a whole bunch of things here to do as well. I think getting the dental cleaning twice a year is critical, and people with diabetes tend not to go to the dentist. And why is that? You're already going to many appointments as it is. Maybe that's it. But gum disease and infection can actually make your glucose go high, and if you're not taking care of that, you could be taking extra medicine and not realize, oh, wow, I never got to the, the root of the cause, pun intended. <laughs> 
getting your eyes checked, getting your physical exam, getting your flu vaccine and pneumonia and hepatitis and uh, vaccine and protecting your feet um, because it's, it's, it's the small problems that can lead to big ones, so you want to protect your feet. All right. Uh, in essence, you know, here's a pancreas, and in essence, we're, we're asking you to think like a pancreas, and it's a lot to juggle. So you want to be sure um, to consider what we've talked about tonight and having the diabetes educator in your corner to help you sort through all of this. All right, now we're coming into the home stretch. I want to talk briefly about therapeutic humor, and this is a domain that that I particularly enjoy because, you know, we talk so much about, oh, what can go wrong with diabetes? But there's a lot that can go right by eliciting this um, eighth, if you will, key, the key that I've added. Really, it's about healthy coping, but therapeutic humor um, can really help. There's nothing funny about diabetes or prediabetes, but it's, it's about looking at the positive. And we have, we have um, it, his name was uh, Cousins. His, his last now I'm now I'm drawing a blank. He he wrote the book. Um, uh, it was Anatomy of an Illness, and Cousins talked about. He postulated if negative effect ne- negative thoughts reproduce negative physiological repercussions in the body. What about positive thoughts? Do they have positive effects in the body? And the answer is resoundingly yes. It increases, if even laughing, laughing increases the good hormones. It lowers A1C and blood pressure. It increases the good cholesterol. It lowers the harmful C-reactive proteins by 66%. That means it can protect your heart against heart attacks. So how do you, how do you look at the positive? How do you find a reason to laugh? Um, I, and you could do this. You can do intentional laughing. So even right now, you can just fake a smile and turn to your neighbor and just give the most crazy little smile <laughs> and it's more you're more likely to laugh and you can do this first thing in the morning too or when you're stressed you know you don't have to do it in public you just you know smile because what does that do it tells your brain hey you know there's no threat here it stops that cortisol level and the cascade of stressful hormones so there are many a um, lot of research and it's probably going to get you better care because you're more and you're more fun to be around and it, there's even one study that looks at it's being used as a weight loss therapy, but you have to laugh for 11 hours to lose a pound. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> All right, so what are some ways that you could add humor in your life? Knowing what makes you laugh, knowing, you know, you have to have your antenna up to kind of look for this, looking for reasons to, to you know, look at the positive. And the bottom line is accepting the diagnosis but not the negatively portrayed prognosis because it tells it tells your it tells you that it's okay if you're laughing it tells you that you're doing okay there's some really promising research there here's an avocado i'm a good fat and the butter's like show off <laughs> all right so how do you find how do you find a diabetes education or prevention program in your area for diabetes there are two organizations that say if they're recognized or not, and that's through the American Diabetes Association or the American Association of Diabetes Educators, and the links are here for you where you can find a program. We have one here at UCSF. For prediabetes, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has mainly in-person programs. They also have some online and some hybrid programs. Most do require insurance, and as disclosed in the beginning of this talk, 
I, I just started the Sweet People Club. It's an all online, all online, all self-pay um, program with video and podcast format. It goes beyond one year. So if you want to get some free resources for you um, on eating styles, you can go to bit.ly slash Sweet People Club. And what we've, we've created are some guides uh, on all the various eating types because it's hard to navigate. So um, I just wanted to bring this home because really with the right information and the right support it's about continuing to do the things that bring you joy and it's probably not going to involve rolling around on the beach but you know you want to keep your health status up so that you can continue to do those things in life that you enjoy and with that if um, I have kept your attention this long it's great and if I haven't I think it's a better place to stop so here's to you and all you're doing to manage your diabetes and pre-diabetes thank you for your time you've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television for more information about this program or UCTV visit us online at uctv.tv